Vincent the Dude, and we are the smiling faces on your TV. That's exactly right. Good Monday afternoon from the Steam Bath of the South Freight Alley. Dude, CM Punk is back in AEW. A lot of you probably not wrestling fans. I nope. am, though. Okay. So here's a little retail, though, All tied right. in the supply chain. AEW sold the most T-shirts, the most wrestling T-shirts ever in their history with that re-debut of CM Ooh, Punk. There you go. Yeah, and then Spotify hooked me up. My Discover Weekly was Cult of Personality by Living Color when I when I woke up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, we <laughs> had love, some really bad weather out here. Thoughts love. with everybody in Tennessee who yeah. is impacted by this. Uh, we just learned 22 people, and they're still looking for more. 22 yeah, people. Dozens were, missing still, yeah. We're washed away in these floodwaters. And, um, you know, here in Chattanooga, it rains a ton. We get a ton, a ton of rain. Now, we weren't really impacted by this storm. We, you no. know, it was a little humid, a little wet. Other parts of Tennessee were where the record for rainfall in Tennessee fell. It was like 17 and three quarter inches. And if you see where some of these vehicles ended up, these floodwaters were obviously devastating. You're seeing cars filled with rocks in the middle of the woods. Yeah, it's like 40 miles west of, of Nashville out in that area. 17, 17 and three quarters in less than 24 hours. Yeah. Like 25% of the annual rainfall happened in one day. Yeah, so oh, everyone up in the crazy. Northeast, jeez, uh, where isn't being impacted by weather right yeah. now? So everybody's been impacted. You know, we, we, we feel for you. Um, Kickoff of the Halloween season started this weekend, too. Spirit Halloween opened up over here at the Northgate Mall. They're opening up around the, the country. My family, uh, yeah. big proponents. We stopped by. We picked up our little little hall official kickoff of the there season. You, go. you got that that mask over there. Um, there's the kids. They got their outfits on. And uh, if you notice, you notice uh, my boys there. One of them's a little frightening. I also got a Ouija board. Hasbro kind of fun. A conduit to demons. And look what happened when I used <laughs> conduit it. Conduit to demons. Look what it summoned. <laughs> I'm going to return that to Hasbro. That is absolutely frightening. I love fingers. it. That wasn't on the instructor. Yeah. Uh, those are, well, we've got a huge show coming up today. We're going to jump right into things. This is a stacked episode. We're going to be talking about everything from marijuana distribution to LTL markets. Very important right now, carrier contract uh, negotiations and managing shipper expectations. You're even going to learn a recipe on uh, how to cook a poke bowl. Um, but let's tip the band. Then we're going to talk about a little bit of skydiving, right? So mm-hmm. autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at, tell them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai immediately after the show. Now we're going across the pond. It's Kevin Cudby, Director of Intermodal Sales at Cargo Store Worldwide, and he is doing something really cool with Kuninagel to raise awareness by, uh, as we all do, jumping out of airplanes. Tell oh, us yeah, about it, course. Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good to join you guys. Um, yeah, I say I'm the sales director for Cargo Store. We're a container leasing company. And we've got various contracts with uh, UK military at the moment. And we sponsor the British paratroop regiment, the Red Devils. Uh, they've kindly offered us four spaces on their next jump, which is this Thursday, um, to raise a, awareness of some charities that we're looking at. So uh, I myself are doing Great Ormond Street Hospital, which is a children's charity. Uh, a couple of other guys doing Refuge, which is uh, an abusive refuge. Um, and then there's a couple of charities, the ABF, which is the UK um, soldiers Charity and the Wales Air Ambulance Service. So there'll be four of us, three clients and myself, jumping um, on Thursday. That's awesome, Kevin. So can you go to, into a little bit of okay, how did this come about and what's what's the charity you're supporting? Why that charity? Um, why, where this come about is um, the company have always had um, contracts with UK military sources and we're, we're a great supporter of the UK military. 
Uh, a previous colleague of mine was um, the CEO, or previously a CO of the Red Devils themselves. He's an ex-UK uh, paratrooper. Um, so we were looking some opportunities to support the British military, and this one come up. So we've got, uh, I think we sponsored some of their jumpsuits and uh, some of their equipment for the events that they go to. Um, so as I say, off, off the back of that, previously with the officer jumped to our financial director that hasn't quite gone ahead due to COVID. Um, but we thought we'd use the opportunity to raise some awareness of some great charities as well at the moment. So that, that's all good fun. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, we love to hear. First of all, I got to ask you, you said you personally are jumping. Would this be your first time you go in tandem or, or have you jumped a, a number of times? <laughs> No, no, this is my first time. It is a tandem, yeah. So I'll point that one out. It is a tandem. This is my first chance as well to, to do this, which is a, a great opportunity. It's something I've always wanted to do. And, and to do it for Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, I, I'm sort of connected a little bit with Great Ormond Street Hospital. I play uh, rugby here in the UK. And one of my teammates' daughter had um, uh, said he had a brain tumour. And the guys at Great Ormond Street uh, looked after her really, really well. And she's now in remission. Thank God for that. And so it's just an opportunity to make awareness over here in the UK of Great Ormond Street Hospital. It's a well-known um, hospital charity up in London. And are, are you raising money for this? Is there somewhere our, our audience could go in and donate and help support the cause and maybe even see the results of this jump? I think we have a picture of you guys in those jumpsuits, too, if you guys would like to show that. Obviously not me because I'm not as fit as them guys. But, yeah, that, that's exactly it. So, obviously, I'll be the uh, the, the person uh, strapped on there. Um, unfortunately, there will be a camera on my face as well. So, that, that's going to be appeasing. Um, yeah, I do have a, a, a Just Giving page. If you go to the Cargo Store website, which is uh, www.cargostore.com, you will find uh, a, a Just Giving page on, on that uh, website for me. Now, if I understand correctly, too, you supply a lot of uh, containers. So before we let you go, um, while we have you here, what's going on with the container market right now? I know a lot of people have been talking about equipment shortages and repositioning of equipment and the manufacturing of equipment. Um, what are you seeing in the market? Yeah, exactly, exactly that, unfortunately. the um, Due to the pandemic and a few other issues ongoing, like the Suez Canal issue, um, but the shipping lines are having trouble repositioning equipment back to China to get stuff back out of China. I think you guys are particularly being hit with it over in the US. Um, so at the moment, I think it's three to one. So you're getting three units imported into the US for every one that's going back out. So there's an absolute imbalance there at the moment. Um, the Chinese factories are trying to build as quick as they can to try and replenish them. But due to, again, ongoing issues with getting stuff moved around the world, the, the raw material prices are increasing and the capacity is just not there to build as quick as they need. Um, added to that, the freighting industry, the costs have, have quadrupled over the last year, 18 months. So it's just having an impact at the moment on everything. People can't import stuff because they can't afford it. Therefore, those containers are not coming in and out of the countries as quick as they should do. Very, very interesting. And going through your website, I saw you were into a bunch of different industries and in, in leasing these things out. And some interesting containers that I'd never seen before. Yeah. A 10 by 10 uh, container, what's that used for? Um, we've got various, we've got two divisions. We have a, what we call a DMV certified division, which deals offshore and wind farms, uh, mining industry. They've got some very heavily certified units that, that have to be uh, used to swing on and off of platforms. Um, so that's the other division. I generally deal with the standard freight containers that you see going up and down the roads in, in the US and everywhere else. Um, but we are after specialist clients, uh, remote sites, so military, UN contracts. Yeah, yeah. some interesting things yeah, that they're doing. Well, yeah, hey, there are there are a lot of specific containers out there. 
Hey, well, we want to thank you for, for coming on the show and raising awareness for what you're doing here with this jump with the Red Devils. And, you know, brave of you. This is your, this is your, first, this is your first jump out of there. Not everybody would be willing to take the leap. Um, I hope you're not too nervous. We wish you the best. I know it's happening Thursday, so uh, yeah. Yeah. we hope you all yeah, land thanks. safe and sound. Thank you once again for coming on the no, show. Thanks. And, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Cheers. Thank you. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Thanks, Kevin. Well, would you jump out? Would you, would no. you parachute? Mm. Completely afraid of it. I, I, I wish I could do it because it looks like really a lot of fun, but I think I'm too scared. I think I'd chicken out. Okay, those of you out there. So we had a guest on who was hang gliding, right, and doing yeah. F3 promos from a hang yeah. glider, Matt McClelland, and we have a, uh, someone parachuting tandem. Which would you rather do, hang glide or parachute tandem? How about you? Ooh, I think the hang gliding. I would do the parachuting. I, really? I think Because the, the parachute at least is designed to make me land. I think I would well, die. So the hang, hang glider. I don't, I don't understand how you – I don't know how to operate them. Well, I'd have to be with somebody. I'm not going to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, how about we talk to Chris Cleaver? He's the Let's SVP do it, of LTL Solutions, with the company that. Um, now, Chris, th- tell me about this association with Nolan Transport. So, how does your how does your company work with them? Freight Pros was acquired by Nolan Transportation Group in December of 2019, and we were really brought on originally to be an LTL focus. You know, Nolan has always had strong expertise and kind of their their founding in full truckload drayage expedite final mile and we really came on uh, to fill that gap on LTL brokerage and we've got a focus with the the small to medium sized shipper on the LTL side so a customer that might be shipping from one to two pallets a week all the way up to about a million dollars in LTL spend a year. Well, I bet they acquired you because you're one of them smart kids from Harvard, Boston guy my, <laughs> myself. Harvard. Harvard. <laughs> well, so uh, how did you like your experience at, at Harvard? And you know what? It's a little sad because the pandemic, a couple of places you might be familiar with, Border Cafe, People's Republic, both closed down. Oh, that's tough to hear on the Border Cafe. I definitely spent my 21st birthday there uh, ha- having a good time when it was around. Harvard was a great experience. You know, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, decided to stay in the Northeast, was up there for five years and uh, had a great time, but I was ready to get out of the cult. So I, uh, I packed up and moved down to Austin, Texas and uh, have been down here since. <laughs> Very nice. My favorite there was the Western Front. It's been closed for a while itself, yeah. reggae bar up there. But um, so what's the state of the market right now from your point of view, the LTL market? How's it looking? Yeah, so the the LTL market has definitely been constrained and I would say challenged really since last summer. So summer of last year. So after that initial COVID wave hit, definitely a um, push towards more e-commerce, lots more uh, goods being purchased for the home since people were staying at home. And we've really seen that trend continue. And a lot of those products really fit into that niche um, for LTL. So what that has meant for the marketplace um, LTL carriers have really been overwhelmed in terms of load volumes, um, you know, versus historical growth rates that that they've experienced in the past. So we've seen lots of issues with delays. Um, certainly, there's been some hiring challenges for for these for these different carriers, um, and service degradation across the board. Just because there's so much freight volumes moving through the system that they've not been prepared for in the past. We really don't see that changing, at least throughout the end of this year. Um, you know, we've got uh, Labor Day weekend coming up, the the Q4 rush, and we don't really uh, foresee a light switch type of event at the end of the year either. You know, our, our guess, best guess is we might start to see some easing uh, February, maybe into March, but it's going to be uh, pretty hectic throughout the rest of, of this year into the holiday season um, with the uptick in, in e-commerce and the type of goods that are moving through the system. 
And of course, in February, there's there's Chinese New Year, so that's a big disruptive event yeah, in and of itself. Maybe they'll get through. they'll give the ports like a week or two to to catch back up and, and work through some of this backlog. But nice. I mean, it's a nightmare. So when it is like this, right? When so much of it is out of your control, just because of the volume, how important does setting shipper expectations become? I I think they're paramount, um, and that, and that's being as proactive, particularly with LTL shipping, proactive as opposed to reactive with your shipper and, and shippers and, and customer race um, is important. And, and this isn't just a few LTL carriers or, you know, it's we're not the only broker feeling this. This is, this is really across the board. So uh, communication with customers um, is key. And then we feel like, you know, we've differentiated for our customer base. Again, we're on the LTL side, we're targeting that small to medium-sized shipper. So we try to uh, deliver technology um, and resources to them so that they've got insight you know, that an enterprise-level shipper may have, but they've got the tools, um, the access to a large carrier base. So when there are issues or, you know, for instance, uh, a carrier cuts off certain zip codes or we've seen even whole states being cut off as they have capacity constraints, we give them options um, and pricing and resources and tools um, so that they can be nimble, they can react, you know, as we're being proactive with them in communication when there are issues, um, so that they've got alternative choices. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, in, in that space, you're, you're kind of compressed from from both the truckload side and then from the, the parcel side, right? When they overflow, they start to hit that space. And you get embargoes of all kinds, like you were talking about there. Is is Have you seen a lot of slowdown or pressure on there because of uptick in residentials that people are moving towards in, in LTL, trying to find an outlet as parcel squeezes? Yeah, it's it it's exactly that. I think most LTL carriers of size, um, you know, they're not their networks are not originally constructed to where residential is the most profitable type of shipment, you know, in, in their network. And I, I still think there's a lot of uh, catch up to do in the industry. So I, I would guess that you know, 20 to 25 percent of the LTL carriers that we we work with have implemented some type of proactive program to address that final mile, the residential um, type delivery challenges. Um, and the rest seem to still be playing catch up. Um, good example, we sat down last week with one of our largest um, LTL providers. Uh, they started purchasing equipment four or five years ago that was you know, single axle trucks where a driver wouldn't need a CDL. And all they're doing is delivering to residential uh, addresses all day long. And so they've had a lot of success and they've been able to handle some more of this e-commerce push. Uh, the rest yeah, you know, not as much. I think I think there's just a lot of adaptation there to do on the LTL side. Um, we've also tried to battle that, you know, with with the relationship that we have with Nolan. Um, we've re recently launched a, a final mile e-commerce division. We've also had a lot of success getting drivers that maybe historically were running uh, Sprinter vans or or uh, cargo trucks. Um, opened up the doors to them to do more final mile. You know, it's a pretty attractive mode. Mm -hmm. A little bit more self, a uh, little bit more service required, but they're getting paid well, and they're typically able to stay, you know, in the market um, where they live versus driving cross country. So that's been another way to kind of solve for that final mile uh, challenge with with e-commerce and the explosion we've seen. Let's talk about that because e-commerce obviously not a fad, and if anything, with the pandemic, was it has converted more and more people to buying online and getting comfortable with that, especially people who weren't previously. Um, so that flow of freight is always going to keep on coming. How does how does your company and how does the LTL market prepare for that so that at some point we can have the capacity and we can alleviate some of this congestion? Yeah, so I think it's you know what I alluded to in the the, the previous comment. We we've got to present 
quality freight opportunities to to drivers and uh, you know to carriers out there in the marketplace. Um, so they feel like they can keep busy with those those final mile type of opportunities. And again, I think on the LTL side of thing, you know, the the large kind of national and regional LTL carriers, they are you know investing now. They do see that the trend is going that way. Um, but I think there's just some catch up, and 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 they'll get there over time. I think COVID just accelerated things. You know, as as we've talked about, you know, before probably five years um, in in the span of a year, year and a half. So they will catch up, but um, there's certainly work to do. Well, necessity, mother of invention, right? Yeah. So how about tech? You talked about advancing this forward. Has it advanced tech forward? Is, is tech keeping space? What kind of solutions are helping out in moments like these? Yeah, um, there's a lot of different things, I think, both in the marketplace and that we've uh, invested in internally. So, um, you know, the, the service levels that we, we spoke to earlier, um, which have been challenged in this current market, um, we've developed some technology internally that will... Um, help identify if a shipment's going to a residence or a limited access uh, type of a location before the shipment goes out. So again, we're, we're trying to be as proactive as possible versus reactive and dealing with, with that after the fact. I'd say the other way that the industry started to adapt uh, largely is dynamic pricing. So we've seen some uh, a few larger carriers actually have pricing that will update based on capacity constraints in their network almost in real time, really from a, a day-to-day basis. And so that's helped, you know, fill lanes or gaps where, um, you know, they were needing freight and it keeps away freight, you know, if, if they're full because they, pri- they really price themselves out of it uh, intentionally. Yeah, it's a, it's a quick and easy way and efficient way to embargo certain lanes for efficiency reasons, no doubt about it. In the, in the space of tech as well, do you see autonomous vehicles making their play into uh, local P&D units driving around, or are we seeing to see that more just line haul, in your opinion, moving forward? Is it attractive in that space? I don't think it's attractive near term. I don't want to ever say it's, it's that right. we'll never get to that point, but I, I certainly think line haul, you know, LTL, Pickups are challenging uh, already, uh, just with the number of pickups, the number of fr- uh, different companies' freight on a single truck. So I think we're still quite a ways uh, from that. But but sure, I think in the coming years, those line haul um, type of moves from one terminal to another uh, is probably right around the corner. Yeah, there, there's a there's some moats in for yeah. that industry to penetrate sure. LTL. And sure. I mean, if you you know, Elon's got his robot out, right? That, it looks like it has hands, but even hands themselves are hard to solve for. Be a they can only carry inspector. 10 pounds. It could be so, a W9 inspector. Yeah. So, you, a... know, you, you have the autonomous <laughs> truck, but there's so many touch points, and you need the people to, to move and scan the freight. Like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hand-holding. There's a lot of hand-holding in LTL, which can make it challenging, oh, yeah. uh, especially in times like these. Hey, how do people reach out, and how do they learn more information about what you guys do? Sure. Yeah, our, our website is at freightpros.com. Um, you can go to our website and easily get a quote or give us a call. And again, we're, we're happy to help anyone that's feeling constrained in this current LTL environment. Um, we have a lot of resources, technology, and then more importantly, uh, a great team of really well-versed LTL professionals that, that can you know, help get you on the right path if you've had challenges in this current market. Thank you so much, Chris. Excellent. Yeah, he had, he had excellent... Hey. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. He had excellent points there. And, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of times people looking for like sort of answers in this market. Is there a tech solution? Is there a, yeah, I mean, there's tech that can help you spend, 
spread the narrative, right? It can sure. let you know what is going on in the marketplace. But you also be, you have to be proactive and you have to manage those expectations of both your carrier and shipper partners because of what's going on here. And we're starting to notice C-suites getting woke to supply chain. It only took a year and a half. Sure. But they're, you're hearing in earnings reports, they're signaling to the market, they're signaling to their customers by putting out releases to customers saying that the reason that your furniture, whatever you ordered, is taking eight weeks to 16 weeks to however long it may take to arrive at you. Sure. So you don't lose business and you have to, you have to let people know. Oh, you absolutely have to. And it's across the board, not only that, but also the B2B. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're getting these shipments in to produce more products, et cetera. Yeah. And so that expectation and all along the line is there, not from just shipping, but during the process of it actually moving. Well, we have some great guests now to go deeper on that. We're going to go deeper on managing shipper expectations and carrier negotiations in a market like this with Justin Smith. He's the VP of sales over at Concept Logistics and Greg Finnerty, his partner in crime, who's a vice president of operations over at Concept Logistics. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Wait, a, a sales guy and an ops guy that, that get along, or, or is that why they have you in separate rooms? Well, that's why we're in separate states. <laughs> <laughs> there were many phone calls that I would have when I was the operations side where my manager, I could hear her screaming from the office, that we don't even sell that service. You know, phone slammed oh, yeah. down, yelling phone call to the sales guys. It's wild times, and it is wild times indeed. We just touched on it with our previous guest about managing shipper expectations. Let's go a little bit deeper on that. Gentlemen, how important is that? Let's start from, let's start from the, uh, the operations side, because you are kind of the front line for this stuff, and then we'll jump over to the sales side of managing those expectations as well. So tell us, just from an ops point of view, what do you have to do to manage ex- shipper expectations in an environment like this? Well, we we got to be informed, right? And and we've got to be able to push that message out to uh, our customers. And we break that down into our teams, and we have a direct representative that deals with the customers, as opposed to having a all-in-one type of um, uh, cradle to grave. Um, so we have someone pushing that narrative out, really bringing in the information we bring in from the from the marketplace from from sonar, from you know all, all the other uh, aspects, and kind of giving some informed uh, decision making information to to these uh, to the shippers, um, you know lead times and uh, what's going on in the market, the drastic changes day to day that we're seeing. It just it's never been you know more uh, of a time to bring that information forward and put that in their hands and guide them through the decision making because they a lot of the times they don't know what they're looking at. Yeah, they absolutely don't. And, and, and Justin, from your perspective, really, really difficult, too, because forward-facing in sales, you're dealing with the customers. And the customers are, are upset. And it's really easy to go down that path and say, well, it's because Greg screwed up, so I'm, I'm sorry. You know, But <laughs> that's not the answer that you want to give, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. But I've seen people do that before. They'll pass the buck to try and save this. How difficult is it managing those expectations, especially when the expectation you set – doesn't happen because we're in a time where it it doesn't happen sometimes right yeah i mean in re in reality if we are reacting to challenges uh that come from the off side you know then we've already lost the game uh like you said setting the expectations on the front end um we had a great discovery call last week where the customer says great uh what are the next steps and how do we go live can we go next week um (laughs) you know of course it's not common for sales reps to say, hey, let's pump the brakes. Let's do this right. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also been using, um, like in, in reality, we're trying to grab data 
to help us prepare in advance and be more proactive. And when we do that, of course, the customer says, great, uh, you know, when we, when will you have the data ready for us to review and your pricing? Um, getting three to four weeks to really dial that in from an operational standpoint and prepare a presentation to the customer that details where we can potentially help them. Um, and also telling them that this is a multiple phase pricing process where we actually need you to look at our pricing first and give us feedback so we can reapproach some of our carriers. Um, you know, the ways we used to do things, capture rates and, you know, great, they give us the freight and we go out and call the carriers. Well, if the customers aren't hopping on the call to look at the pricing within a week of us gathering them, then, well, the rates are bad, like two, three weeks later. So there's a lot of things we're doing to prep the customers that, and letting them know that we've got, we've got to behave differently than we used to behave. And the carriers do have uh, the negotiation strength. So we've got to be ready to be nimble with them. So those are some of the approaches, but there, there's a lot more that, that we're working on. Hey, Greg, how about internally for ops, the, the people who work under you, the people who are brokering and moving the freight, very challenging environment. They are dealing with a lot of, you know, shippers who are very confused by what's going on. I've been on operations. It doesn't matter who did what, like Vincent said, whether it be inside or someone a part of the supply chain that you're moving, the shipper's going to look at you or your partner's going to look at you and, and blame you. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of reps that have to feel that kind of stuff. So how is the team sort of holding up in a very challenging environment for them as well? I mean, it's stressful. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, we go through our own stressors here, but one thing that I think that has been kind of a uh, concepts way of doing things for the last 30 years is resilience and in, in pushing forward. It's a real family atmosphere. So we, we can rely on our people and know that we have teammates that are there to support us. And that's why we, we go with a team, um, a, a team setup rather than just one guy on his own. So there's a support system there. Um, as far as, you know, what Justin was saying, you know, when we're negotiating rates, we're also trying to get out of that. Hey, you want to move this for 1600 today and really figure out. And that's where Justin's team does a great job figuring out how many moves there really is, how often that's getting moved. And now we're offering, you know, Hey, the next month, I'm going to give you $50,000 and kind of elevate that conversation out of that dispatcher's hand. And maybe now we're talking to a manager. You know, now we're now we're now we're talking a little bit something with some teeth. Yeah, so let's let's talk about carrier negotiations a little bit. We talk about managing those expectations for the customer, the end of the the shipper and or consignee, right? But you got to manage those same type of expectations with with the carriers, right? And a lot of them are out right now. They're looking for big pricing and stuff. But now you've got tools, like you said, you're using sonar, et cetera. You're in the know. You know what's going on. You know how to negotiate smarter. How has that changed the ball a little bit there, Justin? Can you speak to that? Um, yeah, I mean, we are using a lot better data and bring it to the carriers. I, I like what Greg said there. Um, we're having different conversations instead of a $1,600 discussion, we should be having a $50,000 a month discussion or a $600,000 a year discussion with, mm -hmm. you know, small fleet owner and whatnot. Um, you know, also sometimes these carriers, you know, they, they've heard it a hundred times, you know, from the brokers at this point, you know, all the different options. Um, so we do have to slow the carrier side down as well. Um, you know, to go off, off topic just a little bit, I like to use this analogy because our ops teams really do need the time to, you know, to engage these carriers and get good pricing from them and understand, you know, when they're going to have trucks in those markets. 
Um, so when the customers are pressing us and saying, hey, you know, can we go live in a couple of weeks? We actually like to tell them it takes two weeks to handcraft them a rocking chair. If you ask us to do it in two days, you're not going to like it and we're not going to mm-hmm. like it. You know, the, the chair won't rock very well. So we, we need those two weeks. And then within once the two weeks is done, we need you on a call that following week. Otherwise, it's going to be irrelevant. It's, it's tough right now, too. And it, and it makes sense that those mini bids are still in vogue. I mean, especially since like in July, everyone here in America, we kind of thought we were in the clear. You know, everyone who wanted to get vaccinated was yeah. vaccinated. People were getting out of the mask. People are coming back to the offices. And then all of a sudden, concert after concert's getting canceled. The dominoes are starting to fall. And it's like, I feel like I'm back in March of 2020. We're still in this challenging environment. And even like that, even you mentioned like standing up tech, even IT, you know, you talk about driver shortage, but there's an IT shortage at a lot of companies too because of this great resignation, just the, the mentality that's going on in the marketplace. People are jumping to, to new companies and expectations become vitally, vitally important. Folks who want to get more clarity on the market and continue this conversation we've been talking about, where should we send them to? Uh, well, they can find us at conceptlogistics.com. Um, our new graphic marketing manager actually will have our new website up by the end of the year. Um, so you, you can visit us at our old digs and uh, reach out to us there. Um, yeah, we welcome any type of uh, freight market or technical discussions. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you, so thank, you. thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, you and the team over there, just, just stay sane. As they say, this too shall pass. <laughs> Take care, guys. Go Bills. All right. With fully furnished, state-of-the-art repair trucks and a full array of roadside tools, you can expect the safest, fastest, and most painless response from your fleet with Love's Truck Care and Speedco. Learn more at Tell'em, dude. Hey, go to loves.com immediately after this show. Hey, uh, another space we've been covering um, as often as we can on this show, because we're pretty fascinated by it, is, uh, is the marijuana space, right? Oh, yeah. And it's really going to blow up if it ever gets federally legal, but more and more states are. It's yeah. becoming huge, huge business in the states that are there. And now we're going to talk to one of the biggest distributors, if not the biggest distributor in the United States. It's Michael Boudre, CEO and founder of Herbal. Michael, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Oh, he's muted. Yeah, uh, it is. Can we, bring out, can we bring up his volume? The man trying yeah, to we'll, silence. We'll him. talk him in just a second. They've launched in 2018, <laughs> right after uh, um, uh, 2018, after the enactment of California's Prop 64 that yeah. legalized uh, recreational marijuana. Herbal's one of the largest companies in distribution in that space, uh, and they service more than 850 storefronts and delivery services across California. And he's here with us right now, Michael. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. So I tried to do an elevator. I tried to do an elevator pitch, but you know your business a little bit better than us. So tell us what what Herbal is and uh, and where you fit in into that. I guess marijuana supply chain. Sure. So the supply chain in cannabis is actually pretty similar to other supply chains. Um, you have your growers, you know, your cultivators, your packagers, your manufacturers, your distributors, and your dispensaries, aka retailers. So. Pretty um, typical of a supply chain. I come from a food, you know, years in a food distribution background, but uh, I'd say markedly similar to something of that nature. Yeah, excellent. So can you tell me what, what got you interested in this market and, and got you going with this? So I was the kid in high school smoking probably a little bit too much marijuana. Um, and um, <laughs> so in 2014, I started seeing a lot of articles come out about cannabis and I was fascinated both from my, you know, from my love of the plant from my youth and the, my, you know, probably close to three decades in supply chain mm-hmm. at high scale. So I started reviewing it in 2014. 
fell in love, went to a couple of trade shows, and then uh, I was hooked. And uh, I left my job and moved to California, and and the rest is history. That was about five and a half years ago. Wow. Wow. So, hey, and, hey I don't blame you. I think uh, the, the dude and I in high school we made of uh, had similar experiences. I, I, may have, <laughs> I may have enjoyed this industry may. as well. I, I think it's interesting. Not. I, I love the way you, you you say it matter-of-factly, and we should be able to say it matter-of-factly. Of it's kind of funny that people go, oh, did he just say that? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, I think it's changing. Like I, sure. I like I've, I've mentioned changing. a billion times on the show from Massachusetts where it's legal and it was medically legal. And you know, what's funny too, is people who, I, if they don't have dispensaries in their States, I think that, you know, you think like it's a riffraff crowd or something, but it's actually pretty, it's really expensive in Massachusetts. So actually the one bad thing about it in Massachusetts is it kind of gatekeeps out lower income people and you'll see the clientele and you know, it's you'll see like seventy-five-year-old ladies walking out. People are taking it for arthritis, pain. But mm-hmm. uh, you'll see boomers walking out, right? You'll see forty-five-year-olds. It's much less than you'll see like I don't know a twenty-year-old walking out of the store. Is California yeah. similar? Your market's way more mature over there than like Massachusetts, for example. Far more mature, but extremely similar to what you just said. If you stood in in most dispensaries and looked at the line uh, waiting to check out, I would say that uh, the, your description of the age group is is markedly similar. Um, and it's uh, frankly something that surprised me when I first got out here. Um, you know, I expected the line to look a little bit more like, you know, a, a bunch of 20 something year olds waiting to buy some flour. Um, but it's really not the case. People use, uh, cannabis from many different reasons at many different age groups. So tell us the scope of the supply chain. You sort of touched on it. And I know that you come from that food background and, 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 you know, freight is freight. Things are regulated. You got to move them. But we did also notice that you serve, I think, what was it, 850 uh, storefronts. So that's that's a really, really wide network. So tell us a little bit about what goes into that and how you service it. Sure. There's probably 650-ish brick and mortar. And then in, there's, there's something called non-storefront retail in California. So that's um, essentially, they can be a small, call it a mini distribution center. They can't have customers come in, but they can actually service consumers at their houses. So uh, typically, they work from an app, and someone can order direct. So we we service that entire group of customers. Uh, and really, what that means is it's a classic distribution model. We have distribution centers um, with freight. Uh, we keep probably anywhere from three to five weeks of inventory on hand for every SKU. We have about fifteen hundred SKUs in the buildings. Um, we have in California, we have five buildings in three locations, and it's a pick, pack, ship operation, very similar to what you would think in a classic distribution setting. Um, you know, the dispensaries are uh, very much like the early days of the natural products industry, a lot of independently owned uh, storefronts, uh, hardworking folks, a lot of legacy folks from the industry have been at this a very long time that uh, made the leap into the legal markets, um, you know, in 2018 when it became adult use legal under Prop 64. So, um, yeah, that's that's basically the uh, the format of how it works in California. Wow. So, Duna, I don't know if you know this or not, but in June, the company announced they acquired Blackbird okay. out of Nevada, which gives them 98 percent of all cannabis retailers in Nevada and California. That sounds huge. Which is amazing. It, it, that's a huge thing. And it just shows you like the competition is starting to heat up there. It's relatively, I think, in its infancy type of type of thing. But how hard is it to get into this, into the into the distribution of this when regulations or or permits, that type of stuff. Is is it getting more and more competitive and how hard is it to compete? You know, it's, it is very hard. If you look at a typical distribution company and you said, I want to get into a food distributor, um, you could find a building and open a building 
you know, relatively quickly in a matter of months. Um, in cannabis, at least in California, and, I, and from what I understand, talking to other folks, most states, it's a pretty long, onerous process where from the minute you sign a lease on a building until the minute you're operating is more likely a year. Um, so think about that in terms of planning for future growth. Um, we have to be a year plus out at all times. So the infrastructure we have built today will literally double in size and we can we can handle it today. We've had to build out that far ahead. Um, and so it, it looks super simple on the surface. A couple of buildings, get a couple of dozen trucks um, and you could be in business. Um, but it's far more difficult from a, you know, managing this business from a regulatory and tech perspective is far different than anything I've done in 30 years of distribution. What about the security of it as well? Because we're talking about moving large quantities of marijuana that uh, a lot of groups would like to get their hands on, as well as a large amount of cash. So how yeah. do you get this stuff around and how do you keep it safe? It's a great question. It's probably one of the main differences, right? If you're moving food uh, and attract a trailer like I have, um, it's not the most interesting thing from a, you know, from a security perspective. We're not going to have someone steal our trucks. Uh, in this space, you know, you've got a largely a cash business and we've got cannabis in the trucks. So we have really it's a it's a hybrid of a truck between Brinks and a, a classic food distributive truck. Um, most of our deliveries are done in sprinter type vans, the largest sprinter type vans, climate controlled, bulletproof glass, bulletproof doors, run flat tires. There's seven cameras on every single truck. Uh, it all reports back to a security ops center. Um, so we can watch every camera in the business, both, you know, in the, in our buildings and on every truck that we have 45 plus trucks in the, in market. Uh, we can watch them live, uh, live feed back to our security ops center. So it's it is really a combination of something that you would see from a Brinks um, delivery system and a food delivery system. Wow. So, Michael, we've we've talked to other people in this industry and we've talked about the difficulties with you said it's largely cash because of the federal yeah. issue that is there. But from a from a inventory, from a from a risk perspective of the inventory and the movement and the trust that people have to put in you as a distributor, can they and how hard is it to ensure this inventory from from loss? Yeah, inventory we could insure pretty much from the get-go. Uh, cash was a different scenario. Um, you know, insuring cash is uh, is turns out is pretty darn hard to do. Uh, but we were pretty fortunate from the from the start. We actually had banking that actually was overt and they knew what we were doing, um, and we were able to get most insurance policies both for our facilities, the inventory in our facilities, and the inventory in transit. You know, Vincent, it doesn't matter if you're selling dime bags, you know, behind the gym in high school or you're selling on a very legal level with brands. Have we trust. met before? <laughs> Distribution is everything, right? And there's a lot of new brands, a lot of new growers investing a ton to get their crop to market. Um, you are vital. You are a vital link in the supply chain. And that's how much trust they need to put on you that something's going to arrive when it needs to be. The consumer is going to like it and some brand trust won't be violated. Yeah. Is it, there's a lot of trust that has to happen. You know, we're really brand partners, right? Uh, we actually purchase the inventory, house the inventory, and we have, you know, in total, we probably have close to 30 people on the on the sales effort throughout the state, you know, both in market, um, phone sales, et cetera, inside sales, outside sales, the leadership team. So we've got a tremendous amount of effort that goes into brand building alongside of our brand partners. So it's not just box moving. Um, it really truly is a, a brand partnership approach that we take to the market. 
So as you look at the emerging markets that are out there, and obviously you guys, you guys are in a growth phase. You just uh, acquired the, the uh, people there in, in Nevada. Other states that are kind of coming along with their legalization of it, right? How do you prep for those new markets that are coming in? Can you go into an, another market that's there and start prepping for this specific industry? Yeah, we are doing that actually as we speak. Um, you know, Nevada was our first look over the fence, if you will. You know, we focused strictly on California for the first uh, close to three years. Actually, yesterday was our three-year anniversary of operations for Herbal. Hey, congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, pretty exciting. Um, so, you know, and Vegas for us and, and Reno for us was the first really jump over that fence and taking a look at other markets. And since then, you know, we're spending some effort now looking at other markets besides that. You know, the, the complexity is not uh, vans and warehouses, et cetera. The complexity is in the regulations. Each state has its own set of rules and regs. Uh, so we actually have to understand those and fit our model inside of those regs. You know, just looking at Nevada and California as two examples, they're, they're different in the way that, in which we operate. Uh, so I think that's going to be the case um, for the foreseeable future. Even in a federal legalization environment, I don't see a scenario where things just flatline and everything works the same. I, I, I do think it's a state by state, very similar to what you saw in Prohibition in 1933 when they lifted Prohibition. Um, it was a state by state and, and it largely still is to this day. Yeah, I mean, and so like you talk about that California market, you have 850 different vendors to to service or dispensaries to service where you look at Massachusetts, where where I was in much, much slower and much stricter about giving um, storefronts their licenses to open. And, you know, you have maybe less than 100 there mm. for a while. You only have like 15, 20, Vincent. I mean, it, yeah. it's not it's not a huge market. So in yeah, order to make yeah. it, and then you look at Tennessee where we are and like uh, the last thing we voted for, the last cannabis friendly thing we voted for is like you can have like slightly more. Or CBD and something. I mean, it's, it's yeah. so dark ages over like here. And so far as that is concerned, do you think? I mean, and then it feels like here in Tennessee, unless it's federally legal, they pro like the state probably wouldn't take the onus. Um, do you think that's true of a, a lot of states? They're waiting for federal le legality, or is that a misstep because that just may not happen? Uh, I think I think a lot of states are waiting for that moment. Um, and you know, from a pure distributor um, perspective, honestly, guys, it's. It's going to be a long minute before um, distribution makes sense in every state. If it is a state-by-state state, um, run business, then think about, I'm from the state of Rhode Island. You know, I spent my life in Rhode Island, and I think they have three or four dispensaries today. We're not going to set up a distribution center in Rhode Island. And that's, you know, that's that's a vertical state, you know, it, uh, and I think it'll remain that way. I, I do envision a world in which maybe states band together. And maybe this tri-state type operations where a distribution center can feed um, several several adjoining states. I do think something like that is going to be needed. If if the supply chain is going to evolve into something that looks like most supply chains, uh, it's really the only way it's going to work, in my opinion. Yeah, because right now, forgive me, I just wanted to ask, can you cross through an illegal state into a legal state with it? No. Yeah. You can't you actually do that, can't. right? You can't actually leave the state at all. Um, uh -huh. So everything's in the inside of the four walls of the state. We can't move, even though we have a license, you know, licenses in Nevada, licenses in California. We can't even move within our own company because it's over state lines. Yeah, that's, that's federally regulated, well, even though both states agree, right? Like the potheads over, you know, the, the mass hole potheads I know, they would be like, you know, we can't even get the good stuff from California because you can't get it imported. You got to deal with the drier, right. you know, Massachusetts grows, which are, 
you know, clearly, you know, objectively inferior. I think a lot of people we called that hayweed yeah. back yeah. in the. Well, you're giving us the munchies. <laughs> you're giving us the munchies over here. Fortunately, our next guest is going to cook something for us. But before we jump over to him, how do people learn more information and um, and get educated on this exciting space? Sure. It's, uh, you can look us up at www.herbal.com, H-E-R-B-L.com. And uh, I think it's a great place to start. We're actually launching a new website in the next couple of weeks. So uh, that'll be exciting. And uh, yeah, it's a great place to uh, take a look and, and uh, learn about the business. Hey, thank you so much for your time today, and we appreciate your work. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thank awesome, you. Michael. You know, when I say that, and I say that because I personally have known people, marijuana has gotten them off of pain medication. It's sure. gotten them off antidepressants. Sure. It's gotten them off a lot of pharma stuff that isn't very good for them. And, you know, it's natural. It grows in the earth, man. And, it, and actually, uh, okay. CBD oil I've been using for my joints and yeah. arthritis and stuff for a long time. Laws have to mellow and, out, dude. Uh, yeah. Have to mellow. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people need to and be I mellowed out. I say that out. as a friend of Bill. Uh, <laughs> Mark Delavicenza, sales director at Portage Transport, is here today to cook it forward with us. He's back. Oh, thank God. Hello, he's sir. Hey, I, what's on your shirt? Hey, I like sir, it. Hey, Vincent. Nice what's to see you guys again. Thanks where, for having me. Where'd you get the shirt from? Uh, this was from Maui. I, my wife and I were married uh, 10 years ago yesterday. In, uh, and we got Maui'd in Maui. So there you go. that's wow. the reason why I decided I figured, yeah, I, thank you. And I, I figured I'd you're put welcome. together a poke bowl with, for you guys. <laughs> oh, not that Maui. Say, Maui in Hawaii. I welcome. thought you were talking about The Rock in the Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was married by The Rock. <laughs> he was married by The Rock. Now, Mark, you yeah. told me that oh, part, part of what you're cooking there is something special. It's a, it's a meal with love, and there's some, there's some big association. So tell us about this and, and why you've decided to cook this particular dish. Well, you know, aside from it being um, part of uh, Hawaii tradition, um, and the great flavors. It's also because of the fresh ingredients that we use in it. And it's, and it, uh, rings true to me because it's something that, uh, we transport at Portage Transport all across the U S to into Canada as well. So there's the synergy there. Let's go for Excellent. it. Start, t- start yeah. walking us through what you're going to do for us here. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I, what I've done last night is I've marinated this, uh, steelhead salmon, Ooh, yeah. And some soy and sesame seeds and a little bit of uh, sesame oil as well. And uh, so that's been sitting overnight. And so that's that's the base of it. And the, also the dressing that you use on the fresh ingredients is uh, some soy, tahini, which is like a, a nut butter, uh, sambal, ginger, murin, uh brown sugar, and olive oil. And it gives it a nice... Uh, flavor that runs throughout the vegetables. So basically, all we do is start assembling the the, uh, the salad with your various vegetables. So we've got some, got some, first of all, we've got some brown rice and some um, black beans as well. So put that in the center of the plate. So black beans are a Hawaiian type of thing? I didn't know that. Well, could be. They could have yeah, some beans. I, I'm sorry. They got to have beans in Hawaii, I guess. Yeah, why wouldn't they? I well, don't know. That's something I just threw in there for you. Ah, okay. Actually, you know go. what? Maybe they, when I was watching a show in the Lost Colony of Roanoke, I was watching this, okay. this thing in Lost Colony of Roanoke, and they were yeah. talking about some of the things that we brought back to gotcha. Europe. Beans was one of them. They didn't have like beans. They didn't have potatoes. They didn't have lobster. Brought all in Europe, they didn't? Yeah. No potatoes? Tomatoes? They're from the United States. Tomatoes. Yeah, from America's. Tomatoes are good. Of course they are. I like tomatoes. Now, the marinade's key, too, right? You can't skip that, that overnight marinade session. Oh, absolutely. It's so important and it's great. Uh, it has to penetrate the, the, uh, 
the fish and uh, it helps denature it a bit. So it's, it doesn't Does have that raw fishy taste to it. It's, yeah. it kind of gives it a nice balance. Yeah, so for clarity out there, everybody, he's not going to cook that fish. No. This is essentially nope. a, 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 a bowl of vegetables with sushi. So everything's fresh here. We've got some radish. I've got some pepper. I, I've got some uh, cabbage as well. A little bit of onion, some corn. <clears throat> and nice. then uh, we just take the dressing and just put it over top. Give a nice little glaze over everything. And then the, the finish is just... Simply the pokey just on the side there. And then you have a beautiful bowl like this. Oh, wow, just look at like that. that. Nice. So the pokey is the is what you're calling the salmon in in its uh in its marinade, right? Is that the pokey? I'm sorry? What is the pokey? You said you put the pokey on the side. Is that the salmon and everything? Is that what that is? Yes, that's the steelhead. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Beautiful yeah. stuff. Well, you know, you're in Manitoba, right? You guys run out of Manitoba, Canada, so you must be longing for those Hawaiian nights. What is the uh, freight market <laughs> like over in Manitoba right now? Well, it seems to be very uh, robust, you know. Uh, it's, it, there is some in- inconsistencies, but we seem to be uh, on a growth point. We, when I started with the company in 2019, we were at uh, 103 trucks and 150 trailers. Right now, we're at... Uh, 120 trucks, 165 trailers. Most of those are reefer tandem. And we service domestic Canada from Ontario to BC and uh, Canada, US, US to Canada. So um, if people out there are interested in looking at a, a great carrier with some good options, you know, by, by all means, uh, send me an email, give me a call, reach out anytime. I'm happy to assist you uh, with any of your transportation requirements. You know, uh, food is commodities is actually a huge part of our of our, our business, but we are also hazmat certified and we've diversified quite a bit into the uh, agriculture market to help support uh, at the agriculture industry with um, grain supplements and fertilizers and those kinds of things as well. So that's a big part of our business. And so it's really helping us to grow and, and prosper as a carrier. Well, let's talk about that food space with with all of the I'm sure the freight market in Canada is is gummed up a lot like the one down here in the United States. Sure. How do you manage expectations in that space when you're dealing with critically perishable food? I mean, where your inventory can literally expire and go bad. Uh, Well, we 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 um, we we try to 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 make sure that we're communicating on a weekly basis with our our um, our core customers to let them know what kind of availability we have. And uh, we have a lot of southbound freight going from Canada to the U.S. as well. So what we're trying to do is create that balance to that perfect rounder, if you will. And so just sending our list to our key customers of what we have available and that we're looking for um, support in those areas, that seems to really help us uh, keep that balance going. Mm. So, Mark, does does the the, uh, the the change kind of in in e-commerce that is affecting also food and and you know perishables, et cetera, people having groceries sent to their house, is that affecting you guys there in, in Manitoba in your business, or is that presenting challenges to you guys, or are you not really witnessing that so much? Well, you know, I think I think most of our focus has been directly with food uh, distribution companies mm. and not necessarily on the e-commerce side of things. Um, a lot of them I noticed have support with four PLs um, and not necessarily directly in-house. 
that helps them reduce their uh, handling costs. But uh, generally speaking, that's kind of what we try to focus our business on is is with companies directly and uh, not necessarily broader uh, e-commerce based companies just to just so that we can provide value to customers directly as much as possible. Yeah. Well, hey, Mark, what are you going to do for, with yourself for the rest of the day here? You can eat that Poke Bowl? <laughs> well, I, I've got to make some more phone calls, of course, and get on the horn and and uh, get get uh, looking after my customers. But, I, you know, I, I always want to take the time to to tell people about our company. And when you guys popped by and, and said, hey, we're interested in talking to you again, I, I had to welcome the opportunity. So I really do appreciate it. Uh, uh, Dooner and Vincent, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you about our great company and, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. And who knows what dish I'll have next time. <laughs> who knows? Throw your website out there so that people can check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly will. Thanks, guys. All the best. Have a wonderful day. Oh, okay. Well, hey, happy 10th anniversary. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Well, he didn't, wait, he didn't say the website. No, he didn't. But he thanked you for asking. <laughs> I, I he know. did thank you for asking. All right. Well, I'll put a link or something in the... Uh, I think in, the 10-year anniversary is raw salmon. Too. Yeah. Isn't that the raw salmon anniversary? It could be. <laughs> I don't even... I, I'm, not, I, I'm not really a fish person. It's either gold or raw salmon. I don't hey, know. little big deal, little deal. Big deal. Little deal. Hey, big deal, little deal. Robotic lawnmowers, right? So you know your Roomba. I love it. Robotic lawn, just big deal in general? Yeah, just straight up. You don't deal. think you'll get frustrated with it just getting stuck? Like, Roombas are good, but you have to have a special location if, for if, them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You have, have to ro- have, like, it, it'll end up in your pool. Oh, yeah, yeah. You think so? I think, and, like, motoring around. If I can, like, program it and, like, put wires down, I think it's a huge deal. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I barely have a lawn, and I hate landscaping. <laughs> you, don't big, you don't have a big lawn either. I, take I don't, but I love away. doing it. Oh, you I, do like landscaping. I, I actually do, yeah. I thought I you were getting harassed by an owl. Yeah, he tried to eat me one night, but he's, he's all right. We've come to an understanding. Well, hey, so we've been talking about containers, and there's been talking about equipment shortage, and, you know, it might make you think, how long does it actually take to make a container, right? Like, why don't yeah. they just make more of these things? Why don't they put them out there? And you know what? Greg Miller actually has a great article. He, over the weekend, he put one out, and he was talking about how containers are built and how long it takes yeah. them to be built. But the most important thing is not necessarily how long it takes them to be built, right? How long it takes you from when you order it to it arrives. Who cares how long it takes to get built? That's inconsequential to anything. Yeah, I, right? I agree. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. It can take them a year. It doesn't matter if I order and I get it tomorrow. Who cares? Well, here's a few facts. Eight out of every 10 containers built worldwide are produced by just three Chinese companies. You've got yeah. Dongfang, uh, CXIC, and CIMC. Not to, no market confusion there. None. Um, None at all. And it only takes about six weeks, right? So in normal times, it only takes you, you order a container, it takes about six weeks because it's actually pretty easy to get them from China because not as many exports, right, are coming to the United yeah. States. So they, they yeah, throw yeah, them yeah. on the ships and they, and they get them over here. Um, everything's gummed up now, but usually it's about six weeks. But right, and they make 3,368,000 so no, far no, no. this year. 3.3 3 million. 3,368,000. Yes. Right? Yes. Well, didn't the article say it was like a day to build one? Yeah, it takes like no time. I mean, they're yeah. they're just pumping them but, out. They're but automating the order the and getting this stuff through there is what it is. And my bigger question, I think, the bigger deal here is, I'm going to say little deal. The bigger deal is where the hell are you going to put it? Where the ships aren't turning very fast. No, they aren't. And I mean, <laughs> exports for China are imports to us, so it's not like yeah. there's a ton of space in those ships to put the containers. No. <laughs> it's really interesting that you saw Walmart, right? So Walmart recently chartered a ship with with 53 footers, and yeah. they didn't put your traditional 40s. They put your 53 footers. Right. And there was there, I, actually Steve Rare, I think on LinkedIn, he was confused by some of the cargo. He's like, wow, this isn't even critical goods. But when you look more at it, it almost seems like they're doing it because they need the 53 foot trailers. 
So Ooh. they're just throwing random stuff into these things. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily matter as long as they're full. But they actually need the trailers for their trucks. That's the equipment they need. Ah, that makes sense. It'll that do makes a purpose, a lot of, right? A lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Speaking about semi trucks, yeah. You got speak, I was going to say, speaking about them semi trucks, big deal, little deal. Kyle Hester of Palo uh, Cedro, who's just inches away. This guy, he's fixing an ATM uh, in a bank. Yeah, right. He's inside a bank fixing an ATM. Perfectly safe, right? Mm -hmm. No. I think so. No. You start to hear a rumbling, and then the building exploded around him. I think we got pictures of yeah, what's let's going take on a look. here. Check Whoa. this out. He's inside this bank taking care of the ATM. Inside it's safe. Boom, starts hearing these rumblings, and everything explodes around him. He walks away without a scratch. 25 miles an hour this truck was going. That looks horrible. Yeah, it does look horrible, and the driver had to uh, be airlifted, right? He had gashes on his head. So do they know what happened? Because, like, he took out the sign. He goes right through the front of the store right here. Do they have any idea what may have we uh, know, happened to him? We know nothing other than the guy was in there repairing it, and this truck hit it at about 25 miles an hour and caused all that destruction. Absolutely crazy. Uh, is it a big deal, though? Uh, no, nobody got hurt, and that you know that happened. I mean, <laughs> well, the next ATM job this guy goes to repair might be a big deal for him. <laughs> I mean, at least the guy didn't run off and leave his lab doors in there and try to pretend like they drove <laughs> yeah, the truck yeah. there, right? The, I don't know how the dogs turned on my truck and drove it down the street. I have no idea. Here's a big one. This is, this is sort of like that looming specter of COVID. We thought we cleared the room of it. It's coming back worldwide, every uh, single country gosh, hearing new things. This is a big but this deal. is awful, and I hope nothing like this happens in the United States. And NSW police have told service stations, those are Australia's police, the Sydney police, North, South, well, right? Yeah. Uh, they North have told Southwest. service stations that they will be shut down and hit with a $5,000 fine if they serve meals to truckers. It's not even how they serve them. No. Just serving them in particular is the issue. But who's bringing critical goods during your pandemic? Who's, who's called essential through all this time? I know here we had thank a trucker. Maybe you need it over in Australia, too. $5,000 fine. How are these guys supposed to eat? I, I don't know. But it, it certainly um, makes more sense why there's a Gladys Resign Now movement there. <laughs> I would think so. I mean, th th uh, this, this is an awful measure, and it's incredibly callous and antagonistic towards an entire industry, it, in it my opinion. That, well, my point was, I mean, it doesn't matter how they serve it. Like, at least put the restrictions or the, the something on how you serve it. But serve the truckers. Yeah, come up with something. I don't <laughs> something. know if that's food Wear trucks mask. in the parking lot. Whatever. A, a, yeah, whatever it is. Like, yeah, yeah this disease oh. is infectious and it and it's bad and uh, the virus is and all those things. But we have we've shown that you can operate at least somewhat safety as long as people are following some of the protocols. And that's why it's important. I mean, even if you don't agree with this stuff, look what happens. I mean, do we want to keep going through this cycle of repeat? No. Do we want no. to? It's like Groundhog Day. You keep waking up and it's like. The one thing I noticed too, you know, what's happening too, like you're, you're hearing all the concerts get canceled yeah. in the United States, right? Yeah. You're also, and a lot of truck drivers pulling concert from it, right? Oh, yeah, sure. And then, like, right here, do. Miracle Storage in Gainesville. I just saw this message Miracle Gain in Gainesville, all drivers and staff back in mass. A lot of places. I was actually in Spirit Halloween over the weekend. Mm. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you wouldn't have seen anyone in mass anymore. July, everybody no. took their masks off. Uh, I would say about 80% of the people in there were back in mass, people in public back in mass. I mean, Look, agree with it or not, we got to do our part of society. We got to yep. do our part. We got to take care of one another. It's not about necessarily taking care of you. It's about taking care of everyone else and this keeping is, things open. We live in running. a society, man. We live in a society. I don't want to go through it again. I know you'll do it. We got a great show coming up. Coming up this week, we have Reliance on Wednesday. We're talking safety. She Truck is going to be here talking about their awesome event coming up in Chattanooga. Uh, Dusty Dean, Bid Cadet. We have Blue Dot coming on. Of course, Friday is our big NASA show. We're talking about armored vehicles. We're talking about rescue vehicles and what goes wrong. With the Rock, find me on Twitter at Timothy Duder, find Michael Vincent. Tell hey. me to be with the rest of this Monday. Peace and love. Peace and love.